Well, what a delight it is to be with you here this morning. Sharon and I have just made a final transition from our home in Seattle after living there for some 23 years. In fact, the movers came on Friday to move our stuff into our Pasadena home. But as we walked out of our downtown condo for the last time last week, our spirits were drooping a bit, and it was absolutely pouring rain in Seattle. Now, I know all of you take this warmth and this sunshine and this beauty around here for granted, but it continues to absolutely dazzle us. So I welcome you to worship on this beautiful, beautiful day in San Marino. Before I begin, I want to thank Pastor O'Grady for his gracious invitation to speak here this morning. I wish God's blessings on your pastor and on all the pastoral staff here and the choir and all of you in this congregation as you carry on the work of this strategically placed church. We feel we are among friends here, and we are glad to be with you here this morning. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in the book of Exodus. I want to talk about stories this morning, and this is surely one of the great stories in all of human storytelling. It is a gripping story about a turning point in the life of one remarkable man, It is also a story about an earth-shaking turning point in the course of human history. So I encourage you to follow along with the text printed in the bulletin. Listen now to this master storyteller at work. While tending the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro, priest of Midian, Moses led the flock along the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him as a fire blazing out from a bush. Although the bush was on fire, it was not being burnt up. And Moses said to himself, I must go across and see this remarkable sight. Why ever does this bush not burn away? When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to look, he called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses! He answered, Here I am. God said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have witnessed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know what they are suffering and have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that country into a fine, broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Come, I shall send you to Pharaoh. And you are to bring my people Israel out of Egypt. But who am I, Moses said to God, that I should approach Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God answered, I am with you. 
This will be your proof that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God here at this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to talk about stories this morning. The first thing we might say about stories is that they are powerful shaping forces in our lives. We all love stories. We love to hear them. We love to watch them. We love to read them. We gather as families. We tell stories about our lives together. We laugh and joke, of course, but all the while we know those stories shape who we are as a family. Stories give shape as well to our culture, to our nation, to our world. My friend and mentor on leadership, Max Dupree, once said that all organizations need good storytellers. Stories shape the nature and purpose of any organization, including a church, by the way. And so we begin this morning by saying that stories are an incredibly important part of our lives. And here's the point I want to make. It is critically important that we examine our stories carefully. Do they tell the truth about things? Do they promise something good for our lives and for our world? Do they promise something good for, for, for the, the, the whole culture that surrounds us? Do they endure over time? Or might they be harmful, limiting, hollow? It is important how we answer those questions. I remember when our grandson was three years old. Andrew, by the way, is now 16 and plays in the worship band here at San Marino. But when he was three years old, in the springtime, he was uh, spending the night over with us in what he called the dream over. I noticed he was down on the floor drawing, and I got down to see what he was up to. Andrew, what are you drawing? A map of Bethlehem, he replied without hesitation. Oh, really? Well, that's cool. Yeah, he said, see, here are all the streets of Bethlehem here, and over here there are some buildings, and over here some sheep and things. Then he looked up and said, you know, Granddad, Jesus was born in Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. Then he added quickly, yeah, right after Santa Claus took off. (laughs) And I thought, here is this bright little guy at this young age, absorbing two of the most amazing stories he had ever heard. He was trying to put all the pieces of his world into some kind of whole through stories. We all do this. Stories give depth and color and meaning to the world in which we live. Stories shape the way we think about things. But here's the deal. Some stories ring true over the long haul, and other stories let us down, sometimes terribly. We need to know the difference. I was writing recently about the Horatio Alger stories that came out of the late 19th century in America. Horatio Alger wrote close to 100 novels and sold some staggering 20 million copies. He was immensely popular all across the country. Alger told the story over and over again about a young boy, usually living in poverty out on the streets of New York. 
He was alone. No family, no community, no church. But through hard work and a commitment to integrity and honesty, and always a bit of luck, so the story goes, this boy rises to status and wealth and influence. We call it the rags-to-riches story. We call it the American dream. Some version of this story shapes who we are as Americans. I would suggest its influence is alive and well today. This story talks about self-reliance, talks about ambition and persistence, even obsession about setting goals. It talks about winning, about success, and success is always seems to be determined by money. It talks about seizing opportunities. The story always promises a positive outcome. Yes, we will all win the lottery. Now, let me be clear. I, too, have bought into much of this story. Who's to argue against ambition and goals and success? I grew up in a business family. I'm a huge fan of opportunity created by business. I would like to see everyone have the opportunity to succeed. I believe in hard work and honesty and setting goals. All of that is good. But surely... This pervasive, influential story has its limits, doesn't it? On the front page of the Wall Street Journal just yesterday, we hear that the Silicon Valley extravaganza is waning. Big changes are eroding the promised pattern of working hard, securing venture capital, and always getting rich. People are discovering that failure is often just around the corner. There's a great deal of grief that comes when a story fails us. And so what happens when this American story lets us down? What happens when we discover it is too narrow, perhaps shallow, perhaps hollow at the core? These are the questions driving some of the deep soul-searching in our nation today. Every one of our politicians, by the way, in this heated moment of political debate has an opinion about how to fix the problems surrounding the American dream. We are brought face to face with this question, is rags to riches, even with all of its positives, the best we can do for a story that will shape our nation and shape our lives? Well, let's turn to our scripture for this morning to see if we can get another perspective on this. As we begin our story, we find Moses out in the barren wilderness tending his father-in-law's sheep. Moses, you will recall, grew up in the royal courts of the Egyptian pharaoh. He was highly educated. He was a young man of wealth and power in one of the most powerful nations on earth. He had achieved his American dream. He was on top of the world. But life offered up various tangled complexities that caused his story of success to collapse. And so here he is, out in this dry wilderness, banished into exile. He's hit a dead end. The first thing we learn from our story then is that we likely will face moments when things seem to come apart at the seams. The story tells us there will be pain and disappointment and loss. 
Maybe there is tension in our once thought ideal marriage. Maybe we have felt the searing loss of a loved one. Maybe it's that dream job that doesn't quite satisfy anymore. Maybe we have retired and find ourselves struggling to find a new identity. Maybe we feel overwhelmed by the violence and destructiveness that seem uncontrollably loose in our world today. The burning bush story tells us these things will happen. This story is ultimately realistic. and tells the truth about things. It is not afraid to look at pain and loss and suffering and exile and call it what it is. But fortunately, our story does not end there. The second thing we learn is that something extraordinary happens. In biblical stories, it seems something extraordinary always happens. Moses sees this astonishing burning bush out there. Why is this bush burning out there in the desert? Why does it not burn up, he asks. And then he says, I must go across and see this remarkable sight. I've always found this to be one of the most great lions in all of Scripture. Moses is intensely curious about the world around him. He's attentive to what's going on. He sees something extraordinary, something mysterious, and he rushes forward to find out what's happening. We must celebrate this morning the curiosity of Moses. Our story tells us then that we live in a world full of wonder and beauty and surprise and meaning. Our story tells us that our holy God chooses to enter into our human space. We suddenly discover that our skeptical secular world defines life way too narrowly. We are told over and over that there is nothing but physical matter, and we find this not to be true. When we live within the biblical stories, says Rabbi Abraham Heschel, we are enabled to enter into moments when we are stirred beyond words. Of instance of wonder, awe, praise, fear, trembling, and radical amazement. Here we find the certainty that life has meaning, that time is more than evanescence, that beyond all being there is someone who cares. This is what Moses experiences here. Even in his season of dead ends and disappointments, God announces, wait, wait, there is more to come. They may tell you there is only physical matter, but no, there is way more than that. Stay curious. Stay open. Stay attentive. God will visit you once again. But then there is something even more remarkable that happens. Here's the third thing we learn from our story. Moses hears the voice of God call him, him by name from this extraordinary bush. Do not come near Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Just at the moment we find ourselves in dead-end cul-de-sacs, God calls us into his presence. God calls us into worship. God calls us into conversation, into mystery. Our story tells us that worship always lies at the center of what it means to live meaningfully. But then we learn something vitally important about worship. God calls us out of worship and into vocation. 
God clarifies for Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The story is not just about going to church, important as that is. This is a God who is profoundly involved with his world. This is a God who calls us into history, into the great work of restoring goodness and health and wholeness for all of his children. This is a story about vocation that is shaped by an encounter in worship with the living God. Well, can we offer up the burning bush story up against all of the stories floating around our our, our lives today? The great New Testament scholar N.T. Wright asked this about stories. How can the stories by which so many have lived have let us down so badly? We seem to have forgotten, Wright says, that God created his world wisely and that he has now acted within his world to create a truly human people. And that from within these people he came to live as a truly human person. And that in his own death he dealt with evil once and for all. And that he is even now at work by his own spirit to create a new human family. That's you and me. That's this church in which repentance and forgiveness of sins are the order of the day. And so to challenge and overturn all the stories of war, sex, money, and power. Too often, says Wright, we have forgotten the story that in Jesus Christ we have entered a whole new state of affairs. Jesus promises far more than we normally imagine of love and creativity and beauty and justice and healing and education and hope. To imagine a world without the gospel of Jesus is to imagine a pretty bleak place. Now that's a story worth staking our lives on, isn't it? Somewhere in the middle of the 20th century, one of the great living theologians of the time, Karl Barth, was speaking at Princeton University and Seminary. I know this story is true, by the way, because my friend Earl Palmer was a student in that audience listening to those lectures. After delivering one of his brilliant lectures, someone came up and asked Bart how he boiled it all down. How would you summarize all that you have learned? Bart paused for a moment and then replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. My dear friend John Perkins said something very similar. John Perkins is one of the most brilliant preachers and Bible teachers I have ever known. Unlike Bart, his formal education lasted only through the third grade. John grew up without a mother or father, an African-American in a deeply racist, violent, pre-civil rights Mississippi. His brother was gunned down in the streets of Mendenhall. John was beaten one night by a couple of redneck cops out on a dark rural Mississippi road. He and his wife Vera May moved out to Pasadena trying to change the story of their lives for their family. Out west there seemed to be promise of something better. 
Maybe they could actually change their stories. At that point, John knew very little about the gospel story. And then one day, something extraordinary happened. Remember, in a biblical story, something always extraordinary happens. His young son, Spencer, came home from a children's group at, church, at a church nearby singing a song. This was the burning bush moment for John Perkins. The song told of the love of God he had never known in his life of poverty and racism in Mississippi. Spencer sang, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Just like the great Karl Barth, my friend John Perkins heard the call that Jesus loved him, that Jesus loved all the children, and he determined that his mission in life was to bring this good news of love and healing and reconciliation into a big and hurting world. From this burning bush, John Perkins heard the summons to shape his life around a radically different story. So like my grandson Andrew, like Karl Barth, like John Perkins, like Moses, we all have to examine the stories by which we live. Some of those stories will let us down. We get that. Some of them, though, like the stories of Moses, will call us to a life that is full of wonder and surprise and beauty and new purpose. Eventually, those stories lead to the mystery of the love of Jesus. Here is the culminating story. We receive new vocation. Here we are called to spread the good news of love and healing and reconciliation. This is the story we've been looking for, isn't it? This is the story that will change the world. This is the story that will never let us down. Amen.